Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. From the newsroom at Eater, I'm Amanda Clute, and this is Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. With a little help from the biggest names in the world of food, we try to understand what's happening right now in kitchens, restaurants, and dining rooms around the world. Today on the show, my lovely co-host Daniel Janine is on vacation, so we are going to give you a little shorty and talk about my favorite season, fall. It is the time of fall previews right now. We have the best restaurants opening up. Big cookbooks are coming out ahead of the holiday buying season, and there's a whole ton of food TV. Even though we have streaming now and great shows come out in the summer and the spring, really the big heavy hitter shows come out in the fall, just like the old days. So Daniel's not here. We're going to miss him, but he will be back next week with stories and another topic that we're going to explore. But for today, fall preview. So this was the summer of... How in the world does a fast food chicken restaurant run out of fried chicken sandwiches? The Popeye's chicken sandwich. If you didn't jump on that Popeye's chicken sandwich craze, you're too late. A lot of people are not happy about this. Popeye's is officially sold out for now, that is. Natural wine. Orange wine is really hot. I was having a, a meeting with my partner, Dave, over at Lalu, and he was just like, I need to cut this meeting short so I can get my orange wine order in for tomorrow because if we don't have enough for the weekend, people are going to go crazy. Wow. The downfall of Dean and DeLuca. Debt-riddled gourmet grocer Dean and DeLuca is closing its Georgetown store, and some employees fear that they may not receive their last paycheck. Just this month, small businesses were turning to social media to complain that Dean and DeLuca was not paying their vendors and that tens of thousands of dollars were owed in outstanding debt. Impossible burgers. Oh, you're going to love this. You can have a great-tasting, juicy burger with the meat. Milkshake attacks. He says it was intended to be a political protest. But for Paul Crowther, this has turned out to be an expensive milkshake. Spiked seltzer. Portland, Maine police directed a tweet at drinkers of a popular hard seltzer saying, we've been made aware of popular saying, ain't no laws when you're drinking claws. To clear the air here in Portland, laws still apply even when you are drinking claws. Delivery company shadiness. The food delivery app DoorDash is facing a law suit after reports the company keeps most of the tips that you intend for the drivers. A man in New York filed a federal court class action against the company. And more. But now with fall around the corner, it's time to look ahead to what we can expect for the rest of 2019. So we're going to talk to the Eater team about all things cookbooks, restaurants, and TV shows. So now on the show, we are inviting Greg Morabito, our pop culture expert, to talk about the best shows we should be looking forward to this fall. Hi, Greg. Hey, Amanda. How's it going? It's going really well. Uh, so I, I know there are a bunch here, but can we just start with this Jeff Goldblum show? This show is a little off the beaten track, and it may be unexpected and surprising. So, taste it and enjoy. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I actually think that this is one of the most anticipated TV shows of the fall, not just for the food space, but just in general. Whoa. Uh, it's in, yeah. Can you explain what it is? Yeah, it's called The World According to Jeff Goldblum, and it's basically a docu-series where he is going to be exploring one of his interests in each episode. And, you know, he's this worldly, suave weirdo you know, jazz-playing 70-whatever-year-old actor. And so he has all these unusual interests. I'm sort of fascinated by a lot of things. Sneakers. These shoes are worth twelve dollars to $15,000. Oh, boy. Denim. Ice cream. But some hey, of them have to do with food. Like, there are going to be episodes about coffee, ice cream, and Korean barbecue. And, uh, you know, he's really just, I think, going to be a great TV host. And... Someone like have you ever heard an interview with him? His mind just shoots off in a million different directions every minute. <laughs> but he's still somehow very like focused and interested in everything yeah. at the same time. So I mean, I just feel like he's like one of those people like Keanu Reeves who everyone's just remembering or realizing how much they like Jeff Goldblum. You know? <laughs> he just seems so delightful and off kilter and fun. Yeah, and um, I'm really interested to see how this is going to play out because it's one of the new shows that's going to launch with Disney Plus, which it's completely unclear how Disney Plus is going to change, I think, the TV landscape. You know, Disney has not had a lot of success with sort of digital ventures mm-hmm. in the past, and they've been taking their sweet time with this project. And the world, according to Jeff Goldblum, is definitely not the most high-profile project. Like, you know, there's a Star Wars series, right. like a high school musical... But I have a feeling it could be like the sleeper hit and just the random thing that people get really excited about that's included with your $7 a month subscription <laughs> to this new service. So. What else are you looking forward to? Well, I'm looking forward to the return of The Chef Show, uh, which is the Netflix series. I know that it, people seem a little bit divided on it. I like old school kind of cooking shows. So it's basically that with Roy Choi and John Favreau and their celebrity buddies. Um David Chang is doing a new show for Netflix, kind of a follow-up to Ugly Delicious, where he's going to be, it's like a travel show called Breakfast, Lunch, and Dinner. Mm. The travel sequences in Ugly Delicious, where he goes and eats his way through a city with a celebrity friend, those are some of the best parts of that show, and it sounds like that's basically what this series is going to be, and we don't know who the celebrities are going to be, but, you know, he rolls with some A-listers, like it's if you look at, uh, you know, in his Instagram feed at all, you'll see that, you know, he's rubbing shoulders with all these famous people now that he has Major Domo in L.A. and his podcast where he's interviewing all these famous people. So looking forward to that. Also, it's so funny. Wait, I just want to stop you because I think that's interesting that the Dave Chang show and Jeff Goldblum and the Chef Show Volume 2, it's all kind of focused on this intersection of food and celebrity. Like there's this melding of these worlds where it used to be only food nerds really cared about food, but now the celebrities like really want in on the action to the point where they want to make a cameo on this, on all of these shows. Yes, it's this unusual thing. I think that you know, there's just some sort of markers that I think celebrities and famous people have. You know, maybe they want to launch their own clothing line or maybe they want to launch their own, you know, lifestyle brand or they want to have uh, their own uh, wine company or whatever. But I think increasingly one thing is just something to do with food TV. They want to appear with David Chang. They want to appear with Roy Choi and John Favreau. They want to... Uh, you know, be in a late night segment that's something about food or restaurants. I just think that they're they're all up in it right now. Mm-hmm. And 
that's great for the you know people like me and I think a lot of our readers who love both restaurants and Hollywood stuff like that. So yeah, it's like cult- culture that you want to be up on now. Yeah, totally. Greg, also one of the big uh, happenings of this season is Good Eats, the Alton Brown show, has is back. It's back on the air. It's on YouTube. Hi, Alton Brown here. If you're familiar yeah, with back. this program, the, the first you know, episode's on YouTube, and there's new episodes airing um, Sunday nights on the Food Network. And I think the amazing thing about this is just that it's it's a straight reboot. He's not screwing with the formula. Nope. He's not like mixing it up. There's no new sidekick. There's not even any new sort of adjustments to the format. It's just new recipes, and he has gotten some new influences. Because, you know, this is something I don't think uh, Alton Brown gets enough credit for. He's not just the star of Good Eats. He's the writer. He's the filmmaker. He's the director. He just is. Mm-hmm. He just is Good Eats. Yep. And it's just kind of like jumping inside this guy's brain for a half hour so I think it's it's very exciting, and it's kind of made allusions to maybe this being the last season of it too. Um, oh, you think it's just a one-time thing? I think it's it might be a one-time thing. I know it's very hard for him to make all these episodes. I interviewed him a few weeks ago, and he basically said that he's like, after doing these, I can like die a happy man because I feel so strongly about them. Wow! So, and he's like, this is the best the best work of my career. So you know, I think we might be seeing this master of food entertainment maybe taking his final bow here or maybe he'll surprise us with some new chapter i don't know but it's definitely worth catching up on it was nice to see this again because while he is a great host and has done all those like wacky food network shows having him really back in his element is so it's just nice it's he's just really yeah, really is. good at it and what you loved potentially growing up or depending on what age you are what you loved about that show is Exactly the same. Like it's still there. He's still, totally. you know, showing off these great kitchen tricks. It's like the weird thing where whenever a band reunites after 25 years, you're like, uh, yeah, well, you know, they don't look the same. They kind of really don't have the same get up and go like they used to. It's like, no, this is not that. This is yeah. a complete return to but form. But sometimes that happens and then you go and you hear Stevie Nicks and she still kills it. And you're like, you yeah. know what? Fleetwood Mac is still awesome. Yes, he's he's the awesome Fleetwood Mac reunion of uh, TV show hosts. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Greg. I'm so excited for this yeah, TV season. We'll talk again soon. Okay, next up, we are going to talk about the biggest cookbooks of the season with Ellie Krupnik, our managing editor. Welcome to the show, Ellie. Thanks, Amanda. So, first up, before we get into the specific books, I heard that cookbook sales are up. Is that true? Yeah, there was um, particularly some numbers that came out last year that was showing that the sales are up 21% year over year, apparently, which on the one hand is like maybe counterintuitive because books, who buys them? Right. Like also, there are so many ways to get recipes Mm -hmm. that are not a book. I always think that we get so many cookbooks here in the office, and I think, God, is it just completely easy to get a book deal? Are cookbooks just selling like crazy? And Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it would seem that they are. And also, I think... I don't want to say the bar is low. Like, I'm not in publishing. I don't know. I've never tried to publish a cookbook. Mm-hmm. But there's, like, everything out there. You've got, like, extremely, like, high-end, beautiful, mm-hmm. like, made-for-the-coffee coffee table. table and then, like, if you look, I remember this from Prime Day, actually, because there were so many books on sale for Prime Day. And, like, there must have been 100 books just on keto. Mm-hmm. There were, like, 100 books just on gluten-free, mm-hmm. 100 books on, be- like, paleo. There's so many 
in so many genres that it seems like it is kind of like an endless market. And why aren't people just getting their recipes online? I mean, I think for in large part they are. I think one thing I wrote actually when talking about cookbooks this week in Agicard, our newsletter, is that I kind of use both, and I think a lot mm-hmm. of people do use them for different yeah. things. So, you know, I'm actually walking the aisles of a supermarket. Like, I'm on Pinterest. Like, I'm pulling up an app or newsletter. But when you're home, one, you might want to flip through something. Mm-hmm. Like, there's some enjoyability to yeah. that. Yeah, there's like a discoverability too, and you're just looking for inspiration. Yeah, it's like way more serendipitous to just flip through this book. And also, a lot of them are really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think you can underestimate the fact that people want to put them on their shelves in a sort of expository way right. and leave them on their coffee tables. Like, there is that other element of it that's less straight service, and it's just more aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, and it signals to someone who's coming over for dinner party, like, oh, oh, I, I also have Jerusalem. Like, don't exactly. you love this blah, blah, blah recipe? <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, yes, I am dining in, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah. And you see it on the shops, and it's like part of an aesthetic, right? Like, right. you look at covers, and it's no coincidence, also, a lot of covers look alike. There's trends there, there's aesthetic mm-hmm. trends mm-hmm. to the books themselves. And I think that's a large part of why they're still selling. So how do we put together this cookbook preview? How many cookbooks do we get? How, how are we pulling it? How does it work? So we keep track all year. We have a running spreadsheet where anytime you just see something, either on Instagram, a chef being like, I've got a book coming out, or sometimes a press release comes into your inbox. And we keep a running list all year. Um, and as we approach either spring or fall, um, we start to narrow it down. Sometimes it's a list of like 50 books to start. Also, a lot of them are you know have come into our office as samples, which is really fun. And then we really put it out to the team. Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone is coming from a different place in terms of what they like to cook or who's on their radar and what kind of cuisine is on their radar. Sometimes the books are really relevant because it's a really iconic person. So if you're a huge Ina fan, like her new book is going to be on your radar. Mm -hmm. Um, Included in this guy is um, a re-release essentially by Fuchsia Dunlop, who's like a very famous name. So it's looking at what are the older folks who are coming back or, you know, are so iconic that no matter when they drop a book, you want to know. And then it's also what are the new ones on our radar? Mm -hmm. Who's someone coming up? And we really put it out to the whole team because everyone's got something different on their radar. And then we start to narrow it down. And then from there, we actually look at the books. You know, you want to flip through. Is this an easy-to-use book? Is it really beautiful? Are Do you the learning? recipes work? Exactly. Are you learning something from it? Mm-hmm. Is it informative? Is it, is it tone-deaf? You know, mm-hmm. like, is it a good book? I love that it's the whole team because I think if it's just one person doing it, you don't get into the weird obsessions of someone. You know, like, if I was doing it, I might not even think to include Ina because I might think she's passe, but we have people on the team who are just obsessed with everything Ina does, and they buy every cookbook she has, and they watch every episode of the show, and they're, you know, incredibly young. And so it's it's cool to just have that perspective that there are corners of the universe and big celebrities that people are just very much into. Yeah, and also that, you know, everyone's got their different styles of cooking. So some people really want that very specialized, you know, very technical thing. Like, that's really exciting to them, you one of the books we have on the guide this year is Americans Foglino by Evan Funke. Mm-hmm. It's like a very in-depth, very technical guide to making pasta. Mm-hmm. And that's like really enjoyable to a certain kind of reader and in some way. And that's really different than like Anthony from Queer Eye's book that's like right. extremely accessible, but really fun and really timely. So is Anthony's Anthony's <laughs> book is good? Anthony's book is good. It's fun. I mean, I think Tim Forrester, our Eater Montreal editor, reviewed it for this guide. And his good point is that this stuff is accessible, but it also is a little surprising because Anthony is so pigeonholed for mm. being like overly simple, like put cheese on a cracker. Look, I cook. Right. Um, and it's more than that. You know, there's actually recipes in here, but it's fun. Also, a lot of pictures of Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, are they revealing photos? 
I mean, nothing more revealing than on his Instagram. I mean, his Instagram is very revealing. <laughs> He's wearing shirts in most of these. Okay. Um, but it's not bad to look at. <laughs> Any uh, other books that are especially exciting on the list? Like I said, I think if you're someone who's looking at like icons, Fuchsia Dunlop's Sichuan Cuisine book is really worthy of taking a look. Um, it's sort of a redux of an iconic book that came out 20 years ago, Sichuan Cookery. So for people who are like interested in that food, it's a pretty like important book. It's 200 recipes, 50 of them are new. I'm personally excited about Sababa. There's been a mm. lot of Israeli food out there. Obviously, Mike Salmanov's Zahav book like won all the awards and also was a follow-up in some ways to Jerusalem. So it's like we've had a lot of Israeli cookbooks. I think this one is really good. It's accessible. Again, it's kind of a trite word, but it's just good and interesting, and it's not. It has your basics, like it has your hummus and your slug, but it's not just your basics. Mm-hmm. That's by Dina Sussman. That's really fun, and she was the co-writer on Chrissy Teigen's uh, cookbooks. Oh, fun, fun, fun. Um, so yeah, that's an exciting one. What and- about this Quest Love book, mixtape potluck? <laughs> I really liked this book. I think there's obviously going to be skepticism around like a celebrity book, Mm -hmm. right? Like, do they really know what they're talking about? Like, do they actually cook? Is this just going to sell because they're famous? But one is like, Kwasov really loves food and Mm -hmm. he's like really in that world. And he's like friends with chefs and like really familiar with it. But the cool thing about the book is he's basically a guide to throwing a dinner party and he brings in all these different recipes. So you've got recipes from like Amy Poehler and Ashley Graham and Zoe Deschanel. Oh, cool. But also like Nina Compton and J.J. Johnson and Alton Brown, I think maybe you've got recipes from all over the place. And it's just really fun. You've got people's voices in there. He incorporates music into it. The recipes, some of them are pretty simple. Some of them are a little more complicated because they're pulling, you know, from real chefs' Mm -hmm. libraries. It ends up being a really fun book. And also, not to underrate the value of, like, gifting when it comes to a cookbook. Um, um, it seems like the kind of thing where if I'm, like, putting my gift guide hat on right. like, a couple of months from it's now, a good like, gift. it's a fun gift. Yeah. Are there any other common threads on this list that we should call out? Another book that I think is really worthy of note is Jubilee by Tony Tipton Martin. And that one is, the subtitle is Two Centuries of African-American Cooking. And, you know, we definitely have seen books recently, cookbooks, that are talking about black food ways and African-American food culture. Um, and that history, you know, memorably, like Marcus Samuelson has his Red Rooster book. We have J.J. Johnson's book from Harlan Heaven. Well, in her previous book, which was the Jemima Code. Exactly. So that's focusing on a pretty specific um, experience of black women in the South and their cooking. And so she really is an expert in voice on this. So it's exciting to see another book from her. She's, you know, not only like an expert in cooking, she's a food journalist, and she's really collecting up recipes and history of recipes that are reflecting the African-American experience. And so, yes, you have some of the classic, you know, soul food recipes that you're familiar with, but other ones that maybe you are not, you know, like this Caribbean-inspired cuisine that, you know, is coming also up in the South and reflects the black experience in America, but maybe not in the ways that, you know, a non-black audience would expect. What about uh, the new book from modern day queen of recipes and cookbooks, Alison Roman? So this book, obviously, I think is going to have a lot of eyes on it. Dining in was like such a smash hit. I kind of think Alison's a good example to your point before about like, why do we need cookbooks? Mm -hmm. Where like, 
they serve different purposes. Allison, like to that point, she puts her recipes everywhere. Like it's not hard to get an Allison right. Roman recipe. Like you can look on Bon App, you can look in the New York Times. She puts them like all on her personal website, Instagram. But the book is obviously it's you know a curation. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful. It's got that like very 2019 aesthetic, and you know an aesthetic that's also just been talked about. Right on the cover, you've got her like very clearly painted red nails that right. are like visible. That's like very much her thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's like here's this modern approach to entertaining and cooking. Hillary Dixler Canavan, who reviewed it for this guide, she really loved it. You know, even if you're coming in kind of maybe like wanting to not like it or skeptical, she said it's like legitimately good. The whole idea is how do you throw a really accessible dinner party or quote unquote how to entertain in a way that's not fussy. The word entertaining itself even sounds Mm -hmm. kind of fussy and old school, but that it's actually really good for doing so. I love that. And I love that cookbooks are still (laughs) still in this world. Yeah. It, you know, you want something nice to put on your shelf. Again, it's no small thing that, like, our shelves also, like, are a source for photographs mm-hmm, and for mm-hmm. sharing who we are and sharing who we are on Instagram. And we still want pretty things. Cookbooks are really pretty things. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for doing all this hard work and for coming on the show. If you all want to read about the cookbooks to get this fall, just go to ear.com and look for our cookbook preview. Thanks, Ellie. Thanks, Amanda. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. We have our restaurant editor, Hillary Dixler Canavan, coming on. She just published her giant fall preview, and we have fall previews for every eater city across the country. Welcome to the show, Hillary. Hi. So, this is the most exciting opening season of the year, as always. What can we expect this fall? There's a lot of really great openings happening this fall. Some of the things that I noticed that are particularly exciting to me, there's going to be a lot of really great and really interesting Mexican cooking this fall, which I'm super excited about. So in L.A., one of the biggest openings this fall will be this restaurant called Onda, which is a collaboration between squirrel chef owner Jessica Coslow and Chef Gabriela Camara. And she's known for Mexico City's Contramar, and she has Kala in San Francisco. So this is like a power restaurant wow. pairing, you know? Yeah. And 
they've spoken about what they're trying to do together as finding a common language between Los Angeles and Mexico City, which they see as sister cities. And I think that is super exciting. Uh, I love both of them, too. That's so exciting. I know. They're so cool. (laughs) What other new Mexican restaurants are coming up? So I'm also super excited about this new restaurant opening in Austin called Nixta Taqueria. They're going to be focusing specifically on corn tortillas. And like one interesting thing about Austin is that there's a lot of flour tortillas mm-hmm. in Austin. So that's sort of um, a different approach. That That is interesting because if you go to Mexico City or if you go to L.A. or, you know, a lot of places there, it's focused on the corn. But Austin, because of the Tex-Mex heritage... And also the breakfast taco history. It's more of a flower mm-hmm. city. Yeah. And like, sure, you can get great cordon tortillas in Austin. It's just, I think it's really unique for a restaurant to be opening and like kind of declaring their allegiance mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. the corn tortilla. Right. I love that. Yeah. And then Ann Kim from Young Joni in Minneapolis is opening a Mexican restaurant and she's Kept the details pretty close to the vest, but Young Joni is an awesome restaurant, so it's pretty exciting to see what she's going to do next. Young Joni, was that pizza? Yeah, it's pizza and, like, open hearth cooking. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, and I remember Young Joni, when it opened, it got on all the lists. It got on the Eater, Best New Restaurant list. Mm-hmm. It was in Bon App. Like, it, it got a lot of attention for Minneapolis. Yeah, and she just won a James Beard Award for Best Chef Midwest this year. So she's sort of like, you know, harnessing that momentum and opening a new place. Cool. And then Enrique Olvera and Daniela Soto Ines. Yeah. So this is another Los Angeles opening. Saul is looking very good in L.A. So they are opening kind of two restaurants in one large space. And again, they're keeping it pretty close. But the idea is one will be slightly fancier. So sort of like a cross between a Pujol and a Cosme and then a more casual restaurant, which they had been talking about many months ago as like maybe a walk up taco window. But it seems like it will be slightly more than that, but should be pretty casual. Besides Mexican food, any other big trends you're seeing across the country coming up this fall? Yeah, definitely. I would say like one trend that just shows no signs of slowing is like America is still very in love with French food. Mm, mm-hmm. And this has been true for a few years, you know, but like Lee Hansen and Riyadh Nazar, who opened Frenchette, and that was like the big restaurant. They're opening a new restaurant in New York City at the historic Laveau d'Or. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to be like doing true French classics. And given how exciting Frenchette was, even though it sounded sort of boring on paper, I expect this to be awesome. Yeah. At the end of the day, people just love that kind of fancy French food. Yeah. It feels super luxe. And I think in the hands of chefs who are really expert at it, you can really see why these dishes became like so foundational to the way so many people cook, you know? Right. Yeah. They can they can bring it into a modern era, too, because a lot of these restaurants, especially Le Vaudor, it it's felt a little dusty and old fashioned. Totally. And there's nothing old fashioned about Frenchette, you know, like it feels really alive. There's like a really good energy in the space. They have this cool natural wine list. So they definitely know how to craft a fun night out for mm-hmm. people under 65. <laughs> I love so that. <laughs> I expect they'll be able to do that again. Yeah. Can you also talk about Bicyclette? 
Yeah. So this is another exciting Los Angeles opening. It's Walter and Margarita Mansky from Republique are opening their take on a French bistro. And, you know, Republique is known in town especially for its baking, which Mm -hmm. does lean very French. So there's no reason to expect that this restaurant would be anything less than precise and enjoyable. So, yeah, I'm pretty pumped on it. Yeah, I think she makes the best pastries in Los Angeles. She's just such a star. Yeah, she's she's the real deal. Any other trends or anything that you are particularly excited about? Because you get to travel around the country, you know, in the next year to kind of check out what's new and what's happening. So what's what's on your like top three list of what you want to see over the next 12 months? Yeah, so I would say at the top of my list, I'm very excited about this restaurant opening in San Francisco called Dear Inga. Mm. And it's sort of going to explore the foods of Georgia and more broadly Eastern Europe. So I'm looking forward to that. And also I feel like, you know, when Kochka opened, I think a lot of us thought that was going to spark sort of a surge in Eastern European restaurants across the country. And it kind of didn't. Kochka is a restaurant in Portland, a Russian restaurant, right? Yes, and they also are opening a casual spinoff this this fall, too. You know, always with these preview lists, you see a lot of second and third restaurants, and that's still the path for a lot of chefs. You know, it's like, open the big one that says who you are, and then open the casual one that makes a lot of money. Right, (laughs) where people can just relax (laughs) and maybe have a dish and a glass of wine and move on. Yeah, or like at the Kochka spinoff, which will be called Lavka, you can even get their frozen pelmeni to go. So there's like the dumplings that are oh, super wow. popular at the restaurant. I know, like if I lived in Portland, I would be doing that all the time. Yeah, no kidding. What about on the wine list or the cocktail list? Anything you're seeing that's an interesting trend? Is is natural wine here to stay? Are there interesting cocktail movements? Yeah, natural wine is definitely here to stay. It's like increasingly becoming for a certain set of hip, buzzy restaurants, more of a given. Right. It's like these days you have to have it. You have to have it. It, It's what marks you as contemporary. And I think like what, what shows that you're in the know about what cool diners want. And then cocktail wise, well, I'm like a little, I think it's a little too soon for me to assess what the broad cocktail trends are. I will say that there is a bar opening that I am very excited about. It's opening in Oakland and it's going to be called Friends and Family. Mm. And it's by two women, both of whom are established, you know, cocktail talent in the Bay Area. And they tapped Krista Chase, who was the chef of Tartine Manufacturing in San Francisco. They tapped her to do the food. So I think it has been a while since we've seen a cocktail-oriented bar, like, go hard into food, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like that's been more the territory of wine bars recently. So I am excited to check that out and see how that goes. I kind of love this trend of all these women pairing up, like these power duos to open something. Like, I know in D.C., Dos Mommies opened last year, or this year it was Carly Steiner and Anna Brandlees. And, like, it's just with... The Squirrel Contramar partnership and what you're talking about in Oakland. I just kind of mm-hmm. love this vibe of power women duos. Yeah, I love it too. And it gives me, you know, more faith in the ability for more women who are coming up behind them to get their own places right. quicker because you're showing that you don't need like 
oh, well, we have a male partner to make sure we're on track. Right, right, right. <laughs> totally. I noticed there was a, I was reading the New York Times preview this morning on the subway, and like the lead photo was this, this woman, but behind her, there are these two men. And it kind of was signaling that, like, we have, our chef is a woman, but don't worry, there are these two white guys standing right behind her to make sure things are like, okay. Yeah, yeah, we've got adults in the room. Yeah, don't worry, don't worry. But I love that it's just like these like super female teams just being like, we own this. Yeah, I love it too. Hillary, thank you so much for putting this piece together and for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. And if you want to read more about the upcoming fall restaurants, uh, my preview is live on Eater.com. Awesome, thanks. All right, I have a fun ask for you all, listeners out there. We had a post up on Eater. Uh, a couple weeks ago about the rules for bringing babies to bars and it got me thinking about my personal rules for bringing babies to bars and seeing babies in bars and I want to get your thoughts so if you have an opinion whether you are a parent or a bartender or just someone who goes to bars a lot and sees kids there if you have an opinion send it to us please make a voice memo on your phone and email it to digest at ear.com. You might even hear it on the show later if we get enough good opinions. So have thoughts on babies and bars? Uh, send it in. Thank you so much for listening to Eater's Digest. If you like the show, please tell one friend. Just tell a friend about what the show is and why you love it so much. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave us a review. And you can always send us an email at digest at eater.com. We love reading your emails and we love responding to them. Big thanks to Greg Morabito, Ellie Krupnik, and Hillary Dixler-Canavan for joining us today. Big thank you to Martha Daniel, our producer. Daniel Janine will be back next week and we will ask him all about how his trip to Israel went. I'm Amanda Clute. Thank you so much for listening.